Hey guys, at the YMCA Rebuild, we're in the business of reducing recidivism in Victoria, and in no way do we condone criminal activity discussed in these episodes. We support victims of crime and are committed to creating a safer community. To be honest, how many times have you seen a, an athlete um, talk about the same thing? You know, whether it's an Olympic athlete who's just retired, whether it's an AFL footballer, you know, a rower, a netballer, talk about structure. You know, I was lost. I, I you know, I, I spiralled out of control, you know, mental health issues or, or drinking or whatever it was. And a lot of times it comes back to that moment where they hadn't planned coming out of the system and the system just stopped and then they had, they had nothing to go to. So, the, you know, there's a lot of similarities between, you know, the sport and the structuring environment and then the transition out of that into the, into the real world or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Welcome to A Time to Rebuild, the podcast that explores the impact of crime from incarceration to positive transformation and everything in between. All right, so um, today we have a, a very special guest. So um, a lot of people probably don't know that um, we have a patron and that patron being Paul Rules. So uh, anyone who doesn't know Paul, I don't know where you've been, but uh, but Paul is um, you know, a much acclaimed reputation as an AFL footballer and played for Fitzroy and Sydney Swans um, and also was a senior coach for the Swans and the Demons. You played 356 games at AFL and uh, you were an Australian Hall of Famer. And I think probably one of the biggest, I suppose you might tell us different, but one of your biggest achievements would have been leading the Swans to a historic grand final in 2005, which I didn't know was a 72 year drought. <sighs> So there you go. So you're a very popular man in Sydney. Um, <laughs> and uh, that also led you to being a sports coach of the year, Australian sports coach of the year that year. But in more recent years, you've probably had a, a, um, a step back from footy and been a little bit more of a presence in the media, which you've actually stepped back a little bit again from. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more but uh, of what you're doing now. But Paul, welcome to Time to Rebuild podcast. Well, thank you very much. Good to uh, chat to you. So... Um, I suppose a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't know um, your role with us and uh, and uh, what why you would be involved with you know um, YMCA Bridge Project and and obviously uh, it's a social enterprise rebuild. So do you want to tell it tell us um, what kind of you know when we came asking, which was you know usually I get turned away and told to get out, <laughs> but uh, you entertained it a little bit. Um, do you want to uh, tell us why you um, became the patron of uh, Bridge Project and uh, rebuild? Yeah, I think, well, I started playing footy at, at 17, went down to Fitzroy as a 17-year-old. And, and I think one of the, the great things about playing football is the amount of people that you get to meet, you know, particularly in Melbourne. I mean, it, it, AFL football in Melbourne is like a religion and it, and it just spans all demographics. You know, it doesn't matter where you come from, how much money you have, what your background is or anything like that. Um Everyone follows football. So through, you know, my 17 years of playing and then coaching, you know, you, you have a lot of opportunity to meet the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor, you know. And I, I think a l- my my um, views on life are, you know, about opportunity and, and, the, and sometimes lack thereof. And, you know, when you actually dig into people's stories, the stories often explain exactly why people are where they are 
you know, and I think when you guys, you approached me, Mick, about doing the role, I'd seen through footy people change a lot, you know, just through opportunity, just through, you know, the ability of a player to go to a, you know, a footy club or, or go into a jail or, or go to an underprivileged area or whatever and, and meet someone and, and, and say something and do something that, that's effectively, you know, I used to get a lot of emails from particularly school teachers, you know, when our players used to go to their schools and thanks very much, you know, it was really great to see Adam Goods or Mick, Mick Lachlan, Jude Bolton, they had a real impact. Um, so I think that was probably the main thing, just understanding that, you know, whatever the circumstances are, there's always a story behind the circumstance. And then if you can give people an opportunity, um, that's often all they're asking. Just just give me give me a chance. I've never really had a chance before through whatever the reason. So that, that was probably the main thing that I think, you know, what you guys do makes change. And sometimes we can just be part of the problem, continue to be part of the problem and, and not try and find a solution. So trying to find a solution is, is what we should, all should be doing. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, you, you make some great points there as well because um, we see it as well. Like we work with a lot of young people who um, – have never been, you know, never had a chance or never been exposed to any really good role modeling or mentorship or, or just friendship even. So when you go back and say, you know, what you've seen from your players visiting schools and so forth, that rings true for us. Like we've had the opportunity and um, you've, we, we, we'll go on to it a little bit. You've been in, in the prison and you've met with some of these young people. Um, but I think people don't take for granted a little bit what that means for them. Like they really respond well to just people treating them like humans and and just seeing them and just spending time with them um, and when we bring anyone into the prison whether it would be you know sport we brought sports people in and we brought even companies in the young people are very very appreciative of that and very respectful of it um, because you know they're used to not being treated that way or being looked down on as well so it's a really good point that you make um, in that as well so you've been the patron since 2000 i think it was 2018 you came on board and um and i think one of the i want to cast your mind back um in episode one we played uh we interviewed a, a young man called Sarte and he made a, a speech and um, which we played on the podcast for the episode and uh he made a speech at one of our breakfasts and you happened to be sitting beside me at that day and um, mark you were down the back yeah <laughs> I got chubbed near the toilets, so <laughs> that's where I usually sit. Well, you know what? You've been doing a lot of good work, so we'll, I reckon if we have another breakfast, we'll get you up a couple more rows. Just make but my way to the that's front. That's right. In a few years' time, mate, you might be at that table. But now, nah, all jokes aside, um, we sat there, Paul, and we, and we listened to this young man's speech, um, and I, I don't know if there was a dry eye in the room afterwards, because it was just one of the, for me, it was one of them moments, which even in this work that I do, caught me off guard, um, because it was so powerful and so right. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, and, and I think it does get back to people's stories. You know, when we can look at, I think it's Sartre, we can look at Sartre as a person that's been in jail and, and a criminal or whatever the label that he was, I'm sure he was labelled with it through that period of time, unquestionably. But then when you, you, then when you start to hear the story, you can start to break down the behaviour and why it happened and... As he went through the story and talked about, I think it was his mum. He, he spoke. Yeah. He spoke a lot about his mum, and yeah. Then there was a point in his life that, through opportunity, he, he wanted to make something out of himself and 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 stand for something. So, yeah, it was incredibly powerful because, as I said, it, it's easy just to look at a person and say that's what they are and that's what they've done and and that was bad or or that was good, you know. 
but there's there's always something behind it. You know, that, that's not to say we don't punish the bad, and I'm sure even Sarte would look back and say, you know, I, I deserve to be, you know, where I was at that particular time. But you know, the the great thing for me was. Um, him being up there speaking about it and his ability to reform and get better and and improve his life, you know. And as a young person, I think what was he, eighteen or? Well, I think he, at the time he was uh, probably early twenties. He's now like yeah, he's now mid twenties yeah. now, and he's, yeah. Um, so he's still young. Yeah. So he's still, I mean, he's still got sixty, sixty-five years of of his life ahead. You know. So so think about that if if you're listening now and you know, if you've never been in that position, think about the the split second decision or the, the decisions that are made between spending 80 years in prison and 80 years out of prison. You know, it's a, it's a pretty big jump from, from one to the other. You know, so if we can help make that jump to the right side of the, the fence, it, it's unbelievably significant. And that was probably the thing that, that hit me, the significance of the decisions he was making in order to change his life around and, and absolutely dramatically life-changing. Yeah, that's right. And we, it's, we, when we interviewed him, we, I think we asked the question and go, "What age are you again?" Because he, it seemed like he'd lived a life way beyond them years yeah. and what he'd had to face from an early age and what he'd been through to where he was right now and where his life was. And you kind of forget that he was. I think he's twenty six. You're like, mm. my word, at twenty six, I, I can't remember what I was, doing, but I wasn't doing any of that. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking. I wasn't having that responsibility on my shoulders as well. So, yeah, and he's still telling his story. You know, when, yeah. when we're talking about people's stories um it's still it's wouldn't even be a quarter of the way through and i think people don't tell their stories enough regardless i mean we talk about that a lot now we're going to go into performance by design but everyone's got a story to tell and i think you know if you tell that story and people understand you more but but a lot of people don't want to tell their story because uh, they're either embarrassed because of the the tragedy or the disappointment or they don't want to be seen as being arrogant because they don't want to expose you know the, the the lofty heights that they've been to but once we once we hear people's story we often well, we do we connect better with them and then we can work out ways to support them or just say well done if they've done something incredibly well but if we're not telling our stories then it's really hard particularly in this day of you know internet and mobile phones and computers and the lack of communication you know if we're not actually speaking face to face and telling our stories it's very hard to find solutions that help people yeah and and um and it's interesting because when we when you walk in prisons and you see people in prison and you know when people ask you about your walk in prisons like a lot of the time i do say to people like like everyone in here has a story, but it's not necessarily one that's completely bad, mm. you know. And I think that you just got to remember that, like they, we, like we all have stories, and we can all reflect back on times in our life where you know, you could have made a decision that goes one way or the other, and and, and for whatever reason, you could be affected by this. And and it doesn't have to be from someone coming back from a poor background either. Like I've worked with young kids that have been like typically, you know, eighteen year olds, nineteen year olds go to the pub with their friends on a Saturday, and um, good home, good everything, good football, like footy career, everything, and then they drive they get into a car make a bad decision they drive and and because of that they end up in prison because of what happens from that and then their life is dramatically changed their family's life is dramatically changed so it can be about them decisions and moments but uh but everyone has a story and getting to that in prison we um we were um you visited um myself we had a, brought you into into one of the prisons here in victoria um i'm interested to uh to get your take on that one one had you ever been in um, uh, a prison before and we'll say not serving time and um, visiting um, and uh, and what was your what was your kind of 
preconception of that? And then what was the what did you find? Was there anything you were surprised at when you when you had that visit? Yeah, I mean, we used to do visits when I was playing to Pentridge years and years ago. You know, but they were very sort of subdued sort of visits. You wouldn't get to see too much in there. So. And I guess because we get a lot more exposure on TV now around, yeah, prisoners and prisons and stuff like that, your, your expectations are probably similar to what you see. Whereas when I, yeah, as a young kid growing up, if I went to a prison at 17, 18 back then, I'd be like, wow, this is, you know, I've never sort of... Um, but I, I think for me it was, again, opportunity. You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a place just to put them in a box, hopefully, and not and not let them get out or not. Yeah, the footy field was there. We went to the gym, the mm. basketball court, the gymnasium. We spoke to the you know, the, the rec guys about the opportunity they get to get out and, and do healthy things. And, and then we went over to, to see the boys making the um, the, 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 wooden the, chest, the yeah. chest pieces and stuff like that and went in the workshop. And so probably the main thing coming out of it was just how impressed I was with the the system, you know, the system of, of rehabilitation and, and hope. So that that gave me because your point before, yeah, there there are the hard stories where the people, you know, are hardcore. It's thirteen, I started stealing a car, and then by eighteen, you know, I I robbed the bank or something like that. But there are the ones that are are the split second decisions, you know, where the guys jumped in the car or you know someone there's been a, a fight break out at a pub and someone's hit someone and knocked them out or whatever. So. You're right. They're, they're, they're not all the same story. So probably the biggest thing for me was the opportunity. And I spoke to some of the prisoners there and 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 then it's whether they, they'll take the opportunity. And that was the message that I was trying to get across to them. You know, do you really want to come back in? Yeah, you've got some opportunity. Then, it, then it's about their choice. I think that's probably the thing also. We can only give you so much opportunity and then you've got to make decisions to take that opportunity. So that was the discussion that I had with the, the prisoners on that particular day. Yeah, and it, it, it's so right that we talk about, you know, whether you're ready to change. And, and, and yeah, a lot of the young people will have a couple of goals at it. But I think the message that we have behind them is, you know, you, we keep, you know, once you keep that support around them, or once you keep, you know, I suppose, showing some belief in them that they mightn't see in themselves. Because... I suppose when you make a mistake and you keep making mistakes, you get used to that. And it becomes a pattern, doesn't it? It becomes even a, a, an acceptance, which is a strange thing to say, but it does, doesn't it? It becomes an acceptance that you it's okay to make. It's, it's expected of you. So you know what? I'm going to fall into that category. And then that way I take the pressure off myself because everyone just expects me to be, you know, to mess up and I'll just continue down that road. And it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. But really when you're trying to insert that change into them and say, no, well, hang on, you've got to break this and this is how we're going to do to help you. And, so I'm interested in then, because I see a little bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, I see a little bit of similarities as well in, in, in how you, we work with young people and then potentially how you know, a footy club would work with young people. Now, you've been a player um, for a long time and you've been then, but I'm probably more interested in your co- when you're in a coaching role at the Swans or in the Demons. Surely you would have come across a lot of players in that time, whatever age they were, who would probably... Um, made a mistake or and whether it was a big mistake or whatever and uh, so I'm interested was that a, was that something how, how did how, what I'm probably more interested in, how did you approach that as a footy team how did you approach that yourself as a coach and 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 what were the kind of outcomes you were looking for yeah I think with with footy clubs there's a lot sort of spoken about when guys do something wrong you know there's a lot because the media just blows it up 
straight away. But my experience has always been, yeah, football's a really disciplined environment, but it's also a caring environment. And I think being fortunate to watch the evolution of the, the sport and working in the corporate world now, you know, I say this all the time, football is one of the most progressive industries. There's no question, you know. And to that point, what you're talking about, Mick, is, yeah, players mess up all the time. It's little things, bigger things. But it's don't do this, but we'll help you and wrap your arms around. That That's always got to be – it can't be don't do this. If you do it again, you're out. You know, it can't – it doesn't work like that. Yeah, that's that's part of the conversation. But the, the most important part of the conversation is – Mate, is there any reason why you did it? You know, look, what what's going on? What's what? No, okay, all right. Well, did did you not think to tell anyone last week before you went out Saturday night? No, I, I didn't want to burn to anyone. I didn't really want to say anything. Well, what's your first lesson? If that if that same thing happens next week, what are you going to do? Yeah, I'll come to you. I'll come to the captain. I'll talk to you. Tell them I'm having trouble at home or whatever. Fantastic. Okay, there's there's lesson one. Lesson two. Okay, if you if you find yourself in that situation, what was going through your head? Well, I wasn't thinking, you know, Macker and Smithy were with me and, you know, I just wandered off. All right, what would you do next time? Well, I'd make sure that Macker and Smithy came with me. And so there's a whole educational process around that behaviour. And I think that's the thing that the public don't see at a footy club. Yeah, they just see such and such, you know, was drink driving and such and such got penalised by this. And most people go, oh, fan, that's great. Yeah, we don't want to see them playing again. They should be suspended for X amount. Yeah, because, you know, the media loves, you know, blowing up about players and, and the tall poppy syndrome a bit. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of work that goes into... Yeah, you know, making sure that player doesn't make the same mistake and working out why. And yeah, you know, that's where the principles are really aligned in what you know, you're trying to do as well. You know, and it's and it's very similar. And I see it happen over and over and over again. Equally, if they don't change their behaviour over a period of time, then the disciplines of footy and the disciplines of life eventually spit you back out. You know, so that you you have to make some decisions at some point in your life that you're gonna make good decisions and not continue to make bad decisions and it's the same the same with the players and sometimes players don't make it you know they, they, they just don't get there but it's not because they haven't had the care and the and you know the commitment of the coaches and the club and teammates and all those sorts of things and there's i always find that when i'm, when I'm speaking about this as well when people talk about the young people and they're saying oh you know how can you, do you keep like how do you give them more chances as well but one of the things that always strikes me as well i always have to tell people is like we only have them for a certain period of time in a day. Yeah. Like we only, we, you know, we, we're not there every 24 seven. Like, and so we can't control who calls them. We can't control who comes around to them. We can't control their relationships. If it's, if it's toxic, we can't control the family member relationships if that's not a great thing for them. So there's all these other layers that they're dealing with outside of what we do in, in say for instance, in Reba, which is a walking day. And I would say it would be quite similar in, in the footy thing because at the end of the day, they come, they train, you know, they're with you for a certain part of the day, but then outside of that, um, you know, they've got, to, they've got to live their life and that life, they, you know, they don't give you everything in that. They don't tell you everything in that and that's where a lot of the problems always stem from as well. Looking back on it, I'm interested in this, Paul. So knowing what you know now and, you know, being in footy clubs and knowing what you did back then, like, um, 
is there any kind of time where you thought more could have been done or was there do you think now that clubs could have done back in the day like i know it was an old school probably way of doing stuff but even in your time as coaching is there if you look back now and what you know now then they're putting it back into then is there anyone that you kind of look at and go god if we just had a got around him a little bit more or you know there was something there that we probably could have explored a little more does it ever does that ever rain in your head does it ever enter your head at all yeah, I, it does but it doesn't because I, I think when you're in a system you're you're compliant to that system and i actually feel like i was really fortunate i was fortunate to go to fitzroy because it was a really good strong disciplined system you know, within the constraints, bearing in mind we trained in the mornings at pre-season at 6 at 6.30, then we all went to work and then we came back and trained in the afternoon. So you really didn't have a lot of time to set up the systems that were set up in the mid-90s once, once everything became full-time. Um, but I, I think it's... I think it's more around the conversations that we could have had that we didn't have. You know, like it's very... As much as we're all good mates, it, it was time factor but also how you going yeah good you know there was never a follow-up question or you know you'd, the body language you could tell was down but you know gee i gotta get home it's eight it's eight o'clock i gotta put me you know, oh macca doesn't look too good but i'll deal with that tomorrow sort of thing so probably more just the time factor and and the questions and the the, the care component but we were i was in a pretty fortunate environment that was actually quite nurturing and and the senior players I, I can't speak highly enough of them you know they, they weren't dismissive they were really good people to your point I, I think the main thing I learned is is the people you know if you've got bad people and it's not always the case that you can do it but let's let's just focus on a footy club right now get rid of them as soon as you can because because they're toxic they're really they're really bad on the on the good young people the influential young people coming in that's something i really resonated from you know is don't spend a lot of give them opportunity give them a chance give them a framework but i always talk about acting your way into a system or acting your way out of a system yeah now you've got to have the system in place that's it fundamentally important to to the way it works so i think out of my time as a player is creating a much clearer system, which we didn't have time to do, and making it really clear. We're going to help you act your way in, but if you're not, you're going to act your way out. So it can't be – and that and that's the balance. There's no – yeah, there's never a timeline that says it's got to be six months or 12 months, but the balance is how much improvement they're making over a period of time. You know, and, and once they stop – and it's six months and it's 12 months there. And, and I'm talking about, you know, we all know I'm talking about the real talented player that everyone puts up with their terrible behaviour. Yeah, and, and I guess in a sense, it's probably how a lot of these young kids start. Yeah, they're the popular kid, they're the big kid. Yeah, they're the kid that maybe started with stealing the, the lolly at the lolly shop and all the mates go, oh, how cool was that? And, you know, so we don't really hold them accountable to, to bad behaviour when they start the bad behaviour. We actually turn a blind eye and then it becomes a bit of a badge of honour, you know, for the kid that keeps stealing or whatever it is. It's a similar principle in a footy club. If we keep turning a blind eye to that big star player's bad behaviour off the field because he's delivering on the field, it, it 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 always ends in tears. It always ends in tears. Yeah, it's a good point, and and one that we've um, spoke about as well before is um you know, the work that we do. A lot of people will you know will say it's great work, and God you know 
it's amazing what you do. But there's also, you know, quite realistic. There's also a lot of other people that don't feel that, you know, these young yeah. people deserve an opportunity. And I'm, you know, I, I, I respect that op- opinion as well, you know, um, because it, it's, it, it's difficult, you know, for people to see because of media and it's difficult to see what we see in behind it as well. But just picking up what you said there as well, like I, I feel that, that, you know, that our accountability, like if a young person comes and works for us and rebuild or comes with us, it's not a free ride. No. Like there's a massive amount of accountability yeah. we start putting on because we start to become, like to put it in context, our supervisors and our sales social enterprise, our young, our, our, you know, crew leaders, and I say to sort of businesses that are taking on young people when they say, you know, we want to put, get a supervisor who's on board with this because they spend more time in their life with them yeah, in a period of four months mm. than anyone else does. Now, you don't want to put that pressure on them, but you also want to say, listen, you get an opportunity here to just have nice conversations. You get an opportunity just to yeah. educate a little bit, just slight little things you can you can do. Um, and I think that's the way for us. Like, I'm, people always say, oh, you need to be tough on crime. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. I think we need to be tough on rehabilitation. Yeah. You know, because that's where, you know, when people come to us, they don't get a free ride and, and we're on their back because mm. they need someone like that and they, yeah. and they can respond. And I'm saying it's probably similar in a way with footy as well because there's probably, I can imagine there's a level of respect that they have for you guys, um, even when they're in troubled times, that they will listen. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think respect's a, a, a big thing, you know. Like, it, 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 respect has to be earned. It can't be just given, you know. So as a yeah, as a new coach going to the Melbourne Footy Club, you know, I've got to earn the respect of the new players, you know. And I earn that by, yeah, building good relationships, setting really clear standards, you know, setting a, a, a game plan that, that hopefully builds trust. So it's a similar, similar principle, you know. And I think you're right. I mean... Again, getting back to the footy analogy, when when some something does someone wrong, some, when a player does something wrong, it, it probably frustrates me. The media think there's there's no work being done and no discipline. It's sort of like, oh, how does how does Collingwood or Carlton or Melbourne let that play? Get? Believe you me, they're not letting them get away with it. And it's the same principle that you're talking about. Yeah, we understand this person's committed a crime. Um, and and that's not going unpunished. That's but what we're trying to do for this person, but not only for the person, it's for everyone. You know, if we have less criminals in Victoria and we have better people in Victoria, then everyone benefits. Yeah. Now we've still got to be mindful of, of what that crime is and the impact on the on the the victims and all that. So we're talking generally here. So yeah, I don't up, upset anyone that's out no, there no, saying, yeah, because I'm very mindful of of some of the. Yeah, the horrendous crimes that have taken place. But in a more general sense, yeah, if we can get these prisoners out of prison, into work, becoming more productive, then we all rise. You know, a rising tide lift all, all boats. You know, it's one of the best sayings that I've ever heard. And again, the same at the footy club. If we, We're never going to let that player that's drink drive. Oh, well, gee, we hope he goes out next weekend and drink drives again because we're not going to... I mean, it just doesn't work like that. But the way some people think is quite bizarre because they only want to read the headlines. You know, oh, Paul Ruse got drink drive. Oh, we should never play again. And why are the club letting him do that? Paul Ruse is going to, you know, Class A. He's working with Coach B. He's working with senior coach. He's working with a psychologist. He's working with a player welfare person, you know, and he's being rehabilitated in, in a really disciplined, structured way. Yeah, now if he gets through it, he's going to be a better citizen. If he doesn't, he continues to do it, which gets back to the choices before, then a good system, unfortunately, at, at footy, is going to say, well, you no longer, you know, you, you don't value what we do, so it's hard for us to value what you do and, and go and find someone else because 
you know, we're wasting our time. Um, do you want to- yeah, and I guess it comes down to that education between the different severities as well because I yeah. think the community in general would look at uh, someone that's been to prison, they would paint them with the same uh, murderer with the same brush as yeah. someone on minor drug charges or something yeah. like that. So, it's yeah, it's really about getting that education out there. It is, yeah, and and and, and we've said it all along. Like we don't, um, geez, we don't condone violence. We're not across that at all. You're right. You make a really good point. Like we, you know, um, support victims of crime as well, and and uh, and and our work is to try and, um, you know, make sure there's less victims, and 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 that's really yeah. where we come from in that point as well. Um, going back to a little bit, you spoke about. Um, you know how when you're at Fitzroy and and you know you were lucky enough to be in a good culture and, and with people and, and you know they become your friends. I know you've got their friends of yours now and um, but it's that concept of you know or that of of asking people how you are, especially in in male. Now I've been to some events that you've put on yeah. for men, men's wellness and so forth as well. What you did with your sons and, and and that as well. And um and it's a room of a couple, you know, maybe a couple hundred people and they're all men yeah. and we're all there and we're all sitting there. And I found that really really um really interesting but also what i found was really necessary yeah at that point because i brought people to that event um and they didn't really know what it was and so forth. And i said look you know just come along this is what you know paul's trying to do and, yeah. and his son and, and, and dylan and, and, and this is what they're doing and uh, and when we came to the event what i was um taken back by and what they came to me at the end goes thank you so much for inviting yeah, me to that yeah. event because it just really highlighted how much we don't speak yeah about how we're feeling or you know um opening up to a friend or, or uh, you know because males generally keep it in yeah and um, what was the like that was a, that was a really interesting i know you've done multiple events in that as well just the background behind that and, and what you, you know you've seen being achieved by that yeah so well, i also i started meditating about 20 odd years ago and obviously been in a health space for a long period of time and seen the evolution of of football, you know, yoga and acupuncture and, you know, all these different ways, you know, meditation, mindfulness, you know, all these different ways that players prepare themselves um, on a weekly basis, you know. And, and in more recent times, you know, when I started coaching the, the Swans, you know, I noticed that, um, you know, there's more and more talk around mental health and, and a lot of players would open up to me and talk to me about it. And when they did, you could just see, literally see the burden being lifted off their, their back. You know, they could, once they, I'm sure when they walked into my office, they were like, you know, really nervous and unsure. And by the time they walked out, they were diff, you know, a different person because they, had, they knew their coach knew their story now and knew that they were going through some really tough times and they had a, a comrade or, or, or whatever. Um, so leading into the, and then, then when I sort of finished coaching and I started, you know, still Tammy big in yoga so I'd go to yoga I'd go to and 90% of them were women you know and I sort of thought to myself why don't more men go to more of these wellness retreats or personal development or meditation and I sort of thought well it's probably in a strange way because it's not really a safe space for men they don't necessarily feel comfortable going with a whole group of, of women and you know um, so that's that was really the then we sort of thought, well, yeah, even in today's world, we've got to be always politically correct. Yeah, how does a men's club sound? But it was actually the women that were encouraging their, you know, their their husbands, you know, to, to go. You know, the, the friends of ours said, oh, no, that's an amazing idea. But I'd love, you know, James to go or or Mick or Bill, you know. Or, you know, I'd love him to be able to do that. And, oh, all guys, and you're going to do yoga and a bit of meditation. Oh, 
they so the girls were fantastic. They couldn't get you know, the husbands there quick enough, or you know, even people at work, you know, encouraging the male CEO or whatever, because they could see that they've they'd done so much of it themselves, and they're always pushing for the husband or friend or whoever it was to to do it. Um, so it was a, it was yeah it was interesting when we and it wasn't a men's club per se because you know Tammy Tammy did the meditation, you know we've had you know women women speakers come along and you know uh, we we did a, an event for uh, a charity and there was a, a polished man and the the girl so it's not like it's a men's club but it was just really a a safe space for men you know the Ruse Men's Wellness and Leadership Club just to, just to try to create a safe place and the conversations we've had are not. When I say normal, not normal um, conversations that you would get at a, you know, at, at an event. It's you know, it, it's you know, um, Nathan Jones and Nick Real will come along and spoke about the mental health and the footy clubs and the progressive nature of that. As you know, Tammy done, does a meditation to start the session. Yeah, um, yeah. Dylan Roos, Dylan, Dylan was talking about nutrition and and all those sorts of things. Um, Wayne, Wayne Swabs was there as well. Yeah, Swatter, Swatter with his pucker up sort of mm. scenario. So yeah, look, it's and. Yeah, the feedback we got was a was really quite um, quite a relief when guys were got there. And you could, it was funny when you've been you sort of get there. And everyone was looking around, and, you know, depending whether it was breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, suits on. And by the end of it, everyone was just so much more relaxed, you know, because it was actually this yeah this this pretty cool. And some of the conversations and you know the the the, the guests and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was really trying to create a safe space for guys to explore things that they possibly would never do and to a person the feedback was was amazing mick mac what's on your mind uh my wife's furious at me again yeah again what have you done this time uh we don't have a chopping board this is the thing right so i'm just straight on the counter on your marble on your good marble your italian marble Marble, granite, not sure yet. <laughs> but I tell you what, I'm making a complete mess. Well, you know what? What's that? I can. I'm the answer to all your problems. You have been so far, and I tell you, it's not going to stop here. We have an amazing range of chopping boards. We have um, cheese boards, chopping boards, different sizes that will fit that marble countertop that you are so badly destroying at the moment. You're going to save my marriage. I am going to save your marriage yet again. And here's the thing. These chopping boards, if you go to our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.au, anyone can buy them. And here's the kicker. If we sell seven chopping boards per week, we create one job for a young person. Seven chopping boards, nothing. But the impact, massive. So if you're like you, Mac, and you're destroying countertops and your marriage is on the line because you haven't got a chopping board, well, I tell you, rebuild. That's where you get it. You know what? We do a lot more than just help young people in the justice system. I'd like to think so. We're helping relationships. Screw Dr. Phil. (laughs) And it's important. It's an important thing to be able to to give that space. I think it's just what you did, just give a space. Yeah. And I know we, we... have that in our, you know, social enterprise or our young people. We're trying to create a, a, a culture in there where these young people can, you know, warn, you know, you let your guard down because they're not used to letting their guard down. 
because yeah. you know letting a guard down is sometimes like you know opens up to you know them being a you know taken advantage of or you know they feel like it's 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 a weakness and so mm. forth so they they have the bravado and they have the defense and it's hard to to chip away at that but we do and and eventually we want what we want is our young people to come in and say Look, just be honest. We just tell us what's going on. Like, yeah. the, you know, we don't. We're the one place where you can leave all that crap at the door, yeah. and you can just tell us what's going on, and we can start to work on what we can do to help you, not like actually make it worse for you. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a, a really, really, really important thing. Um, and going on that because we have this, we we would have a lot of conversations with businesses. So, as you know, part of our, you know, um, what we do with Bridge Project was employment and placing people yep. um, that from come from custody into jobs, and then rebuild. Obviously, we start our own social enterprise, and we we take on that ourselves. I'm interested to get your take on this because I know you work with a lot of, um, through your performance with design, you work with a lot of um, companies and organizations around leadership. And in a sense, we, we're we looking for companies and organizations yeah. to take leadership yeah. around opening their doors to our young people. Because what I see is, you know, I've worked in this field for a long time and government will support you. Yeah. You know, and government will fund, but government will change. Yeah. Um, and you might have funding one time, you might have less funding the next time. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, just, yeah. that's just natural. That's the way it is. Yeah, there's no complaints in that, and that's just that's what it is. But businesses stay strong, even in COVID. Like they, they, there's a few unfortunate that have been affected in certain industries. But if you take that away, the businesses generally continue to operate. So I see them as a massive key to, to the work that we do because if they open their doors <laughs> to our young people and they create opportunities, and we can then do the, the pre-work with making sure they're ready to take them, then there's that opportunity together to make that positive change. What are some of the key things you see when you're doing your leadership and what are the key things you work with on organizations around leadership? Yeah, probably the biggest thing for me is with, we, we do a lot of work with exec teams and obviously work all the way through the industry, but the biggest thing I see with exec teams is they're all technically really good at what they do and, and they all get promoted because of their technical capabilities, which is fine because, you know, if you're in a, a law firm and you're a junior lawyer and then you become better and then you become an associate, whatever the thing is. But then what happens, suddenly you've got this leadership group that are just technically really good, but they actually don't have, they've never developed any leadership capability. You know, empathy, relationship building, you know, having honest conversations, um, you know, as I said, building, building stronger relationships, all, you know, all those sort of things. So then, then what happens is they tend to stay in the business. So they tend to, well, I know I'm supposed to be managing, you know, X amount of lawyers, but I'm going to do all their work for them because they're so good at doing the work and they've never been taught how to lead and, and help everyone else get better that they typically sort of step back down. Then what happens is the person that they're doing the job for goes, well, why am I going to do the work? Because Paul's going to do the work anyway. And then, then the leader, you know, the leader says, "Oh, no one's doing the work." Well, the, the leader's not doing. The leader's doing all the work because he chose to. And then what happens? People underneath and saying, "Well, I might as well not do it because he's going to do it anyway." So that's probably one of the biggest problems that we face. You know, we, we talk about, um, you know, how do we behave? How do we build relationships? How do we work with each other? And what are some of the concepts? You know, what is in authenticity? Everyone through the the power of podcasting and and books and me I mean everyone knows now roughly about Brene Brown and talking about authenticity Jim Collins good to great you know Stephen Covey the 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 building code of trust or whatever it's called but most people don't know how that fits in a workplace 
what do you mean I have to be authentic? What, what, what does it actually mean? In, so we really probably bring those concepts to life and explain to them, well, you need to be authentic in this situation. Yeah, you need to have honest conversations because of this. You need to build really good relationships because it allows you to have those conversations. So we're able to bring those concepts which everyone understands but don't really know how to work in a practical sense and we, we're able to bring them bring them to life so people say, oh, okay, now I start to see what leadership is. It's, again, it's the same in footy. You know, you're talking about you know, um, appointing a coach and it's a good example. A coach typically is an assistant coach who's had eight players, important role, incredibly important role, but looked after maybe eight direct players, a midfield area, and that's it. Suddenly you're asking him to become a leader of a footy club that's got to deal with 44 players, 10 coaches, 10 medical staff, marketing department, sponsorship department, you know, board, etc., etc. They're just not equipped to be able to do it. So, yeah, the ability to upskill the, the leaders in the leadership requirements is, is really a, a, one of the great challenges for the corporate world and, and the sporting world as well. It, I'm really interested, right? So when you go into these organizations, right, typically an organization will reach out to you and it would be a CEO, could be a CEO that you've met or spoken, go, you know, this sounds great. I need to get you in. I need to get you and your team in here. Yeah. I need you to get to talking to us about leadership and so forth. Do you ever see them moments where you realize it, there's a switch that happens and you're going like, you, they feel it's going to go one way and suddenly it's challenging them in a whole different way because it's suddenly now putting a real focus on themselves and they're going, Jesus, I didn't expect this. You know what I mean? Like, Because I'm sure there's points where they think, oh, I'm going great. Yeah. I'm going great, mate. Just get us in and talk to the people below me. Yeah. But then when they suddenly, you come in and start to scratch a little bit at it and put things out, they start going, Jesus, this is, very, this is ringing very close to home. Does that happen? I'll answer it a different way. I, without sounding... And you're going to miss clients and, and obviously we've got competitors and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I, <coughs> I know if I, if I do a talk or we do a workshop and we don't get asked back, it's because the leader realises he's not doing the right thing. Because the system that we would put in place challenges his ability. And that happens a lot because what we talk about is leadership being role modeling. And if the leader is not role modeling those behaviors, then they look at us and go, yeah, great, fantastic, good day. Um, thanks, Rosie, for the talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. But then they go home and they realize, gee, if we're going to become a values-based company and my values are terrible and my behaviors are terrible, there's only two things that can happen. I've got to change the way I act or I've got to leave. So typically they prefer to go, nah, we're not touching the, we're not touching the system. So we see a lot of really bad leaders, but the ones that we, thankfully, the ones we're able to work with, and it, there's no such thing as a perfect leader, so I'll say that. So the, one of the great things a leader can be is self-aware. So I'm not suggesting that I'm a perfect leader, but it's a, or or anyone else. But but the good leaders have really good self awareness, where they go, actually, no, now I understand that system. Yeah, there's a few things I've got to work on, but yeah, I'm actually really keen to be a role model. Yeah, I'm really keen to build really good relationships. I'm really keen to understand more about around my staff and you know how we can set a framework for for high performance. It's fantastic. So we go back in and you know we 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 have great success. But absolutely, the ones 
that you know aren't going to change. And we'll we'll yeah we'll work out of a a business meeting. There was one that happened about a month ago, and I I sort of switched off halfway through the the business meeting, and my business partner sensed it and said to me once we got off the course, he said, "What's wrong with you?" I said, "Mate, we're never going to work with that bloke. We're never." He's never going to call us back. Sure enough, the next day, um, email came back and said, "Oh, look, thanks, guys, but we're going to go some. We're going to go with someone we've worked with before, because that person they've worked with before won't challenge that leader and won't challenge that leader to change their behaviours. So nothing will change at that organisation at all." Yeah, and it's that's really interesting. And I look at it then from another side where it then filters down. So one of the things that we would have and I've had this a lot of time and you know Mark probably had it before when we were talking to employers or we're talking to potential employers and um, they see what we do and they go that's amazing you know and I meet, you meet a CEO or whatever and they go love it you come in we, yeah. we want you to work with us your company come in we want to hire rebuild we want to you yeah. know we want to hire these young people and then what we find is that's at the very top level yeah. And then what happens is I, alarm bells go off for me straight away when you go and you meet and you see that that hasn't been filtered down. No. So what happens then, it goes down multiple layers and then it eventually will end up with the person who's got to hire this young person or supervise this young person who's not not aware of what's happening. No. It's been kind of pushed onto them. So straight away they're starting from a point of, I don't want this. Yeah. My job is doing this, this, and this, and then suddenly I've got to look after this young person yeah, who yeah. has a criminal mm-hmm. record, and I have to look at. No, 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 this isn't for me. Or they, or it gets to a person who's meant to hire and go, no, we don't, we, we won't do that. So it hasn't, it has a great effect at the top, really, where they see it goes, yeah, great idea. But if it doesn't filter down and everyone, everyone else isn't playing, and I suppose it's a game plan that's yeah. put in place, wouldn't it be? If you were thinking of a footy mm-hmm. analogy, it'd be, it'd be, you know, everyone's playing to the same game plan and understands it. That's one of the biggest problems that we have. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it happens. Um, it's good intent, but it's a bad outcome. I, I, I get blown away at how slow the corporate world works. It just I, I, it amazes me at how slow the corporate world works and how people cannot make decisions. And this is the whole point around empowerment. Because what happens in the bigger organisation, the less empowerment, the less people seem to be. But it takes so long to get things done. And I, I say this to companies all the time. I say, and, and what you're used to in AFL, I can't ring up the AFL and say, guys, look, I know we've got a game at 2.10 on Saturday, but we're not ready to play. Can we push that game back till Monday or Tuesday? We have to get things done. You have to get things moving. The corporate world is so slow. And sometimes I sit there and I go, does anyone do any work in here? Or is it just pushing a file from one desk to the other and then that person moves the file from the other desk. And But again, a lot of it does come back to the leadership of, of the, whatever that company is. You know, you know, what is the leader, you know, is the leader walking the walk? You know, you know we want to get, you know, rebuild and we're social enterprise and, you know, Joe, come into this meeting. I want you to meet with Mick. Um, Joe's in charge of this particular section. Um Joe, you know that I'm really keen to get this in the in the thing. What have you got any questions for Mick? You know, and look, I'm not going to make the decision, but but Joe, you know, as a company, we really value this. You know, this is what I stand for. This is what you stand for. So, so I think what happens is it again, people get caught up in I don't have time or whatever or, or they don't get organised and then the meeting becomes a waste of time. You know, we again, one of the other things we talk about is having purposeful meetings. 
You know, so if you're having a meeting with, you know, whatever company is, it's incumbent on that person to make sure the key stakeholders are in that meeting. But what typically happens is, and I've worked this out, I'll go and meet with someone and they'll go, yep, no, I'll tell you what I'll do now. I'm going to talk to, you know, Mary or Joe or, or Susan and can you catch up with them? And then I meet with Mary and Joe. Okay, now I just need to get Paul involved. Instead of, you know, Mary and Susan and Paul and me being involved in the one meeting, then we can, then that's empowerment. Then, guys, are we happy with the meeting? Any more questions for Mick? Yeah, Joe, I'll leave it with you. Can you sort it out? That's empowerment. And then Joe sorts it out with you and we get things done. But there's so many gaps that exist because there's so many different layers. And, and again, it, it comes back to leadership and empowerment and, and all those concepts that, that people talk about, but I don't really think they know exactly how to action them. Yeah. And going to culture then a little bit, just touching on a bit of the culture as well, like what what do you – like? In your footy career, right, you would have been part of cultures, probably good and probably some yep. bad, yeah? You would have seen both sides. As a coach, then you get a chance to actually influence and you get to create what you see, hopefully see, and others see as a positive culture. Um, how much of that cultural shift comes from you and your team as a, and how much, do, how much do you invest in giving that empowerment to your, to your players when you were doing it? Well, I think the first thing is, and this, this was probably – why we started what we did at, at Sydney because I remember finishing as a player and I wrote down all these these notes 25 notes what I liked about coaches what I liked about coaches and and I was really fortunate as I said I was fortunate for 13 years to be working with really good people um, at the Fitzroy Footy Club and then four years at, at Sydney but then I thought to myself how do you take the chance out of culture how do you just not leave it to chance because you can leave it to chance and if you get good people you'll end up with good culture. But what do good people do? They just have good behaviours. So good people typically have good behaviour. Bad people, if you want to frame them in the simplistic sense, black and white, have bad behaviour. So when I started coaching Sydney, I thought to myself, how do we not leave it to chance? How do we actually create a culture? So it was really groundbreaking in an AFL sense. So then we did our workshops and we came up with our, our culture code, the blood's culture. And then it was really how do we reward and challenge and even that concept i don't think leaders fully understand what culture is because if you do then you will frame what your behaviors are then you will frame what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and that's pretty much what we do at performance by design we come in and we ask the question what behaviors are you seeing at the now that aren't getting you to where you want to get to all right well, what behaviors do you want to see so you have to put a code in place in order to reward and challenge. But most companies get a purpose and values, but honesty to you and me might be different. Mick, hang on, mate, why didn't you tell me that meeting was on last week? I thought honesty was one of our behaviours. And you'll say to me, I wasn't being dishonest, mate. I didn't feel like you had to be in in the meeting. All right, so you're being honest and I'm being honest. Yeah, but Mick, I asked you whether that meeting was on and you, t- you, you didn't tell me. I said, yeah, mate, I didn't think you had to be in the meeting tell the truth that's pretty black and white mick is there a meeting on today no no Ruzi, there's not mick hang on you told me last week that there was no meeting yeah mate i, I just didn't think you know on, hang on we talk about telling the truth did you tell me the truth so it's a very different conversation when you have a framework then the, the conversation might still lead to 
yeah, look, Rizzy, so I, I actually should have told you it was on, but I also should have told you I really didn't think you needed to be there um, and then we could have had a conversation around it. But most companies don't go down to that level of behaviours. So we talk about taking the chance out of culture. So when, you know, when we, we did it at Sydney, it was, it was unbelievably powerful. We came up with a set of standards. And in footy clubs, they pick their own leadership group. They vote on the behaviours. Stewie Maxfield became captain and Stewie was an incredible leader. An incredible leader. These are the values. These are the behaviours. This is what we want to stand for. I'll reward and I'll challenge as a captain. Incredible. Yeah, so we put a framework in place. That's the most important thing because too many people think they've got it in there and then, you know, I hear about these companies that do these anonymous 360 um, feedback sessions. What is that telling you about your your company if you've got to have an anonymous feedback system? I'll tell you what it tells me. You've got a shit culture. That's what it tells me. But to be fair, prior to... You know, giving and receiving and understanding the feedback, we have to put a code in place. You know, and when we're inducting people at, at the Sydney Swans, we had an unbelievable video where we inducted players. You know, we had ex-players talking about the culture. We had current players taking them through the behaviours. So when you came into the system, guys, this is the system you're coming into. These are the behaviours we're asking you to, to do. We'll reward, but we'll also challenge. Football is an incredible review constant review accountable model corporation corporates don't have the same rigor around the way they review and the way they they help reward and challenge so that's pretty much what we try and do at performance by design but once you get it right it, it's unbelievably powerful unbelievably powerful because it, and i talk about as a roadmap it gives everyone a roadmap at the organization about how we want to act and then act your way in act your way out and then, you know, um, the Swans, I think Rick Barham talked about the no dickheads policy. But if for, essentially what it was is here's how we behave. You know, and if you came in as a questionable character, that, that was okay. But here's the blueprint now. This is the way you want to act. And what I find, and, I, and I'm sure you find it well with, with the, the, you know, the, the guys, the prisoners and that, a lot of people just want structure. They, they want to be told what to do, how to act, how to behave. Because people ask me all the time about, oh, what about player A or player B and what were they like when they come in? And my, 90% of the time my response is, fantastic. Because they wanted structure. They wanted to know. They wanted some, some help and the Swans gave them help. And then they became, then it was up to them to make, make the choices. But you've got to have the framework. You can't just guess what your culture is going to be. Yeah, it's such a great point. Um, and we get that a lot with our young guys. You know, lack of structure yep. is sometimes why they end up in prison. Yep. You know, and then they go to prison and it is everything structure. Yep. You know, when you eat, when you go to bed, when they lock the doors, when you go to the gym, you know, when you go to appointments, it's all structure. What we, do, we try to do is we try to continue that structure as soon as they leave. Yeah. You know, because they'll be working with us six weeks prior to leaving. Yeah. They'll be coming to work Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 2.30. And then as soon as they leave, they're starting the following week with us. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in those full days, they don't stop. And it's about continuing that structure when they leave prison. Because you can see the guys that, don't continue it. The ones that go, oh, I'll work it out when I yeah, get out. Yeah, yeah. I'll work it out when I leave here. 
if you don't start planning before you leave, I'll tell you the ending to that story. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Mm. And, and to be honest, how many times have you seen a, an athlete um, talk about the same thing? Yeah, you know, whether it's an Olympic athlete who's just retired, whether it's an AFL footballer, you know, a rower, a netballer, talk about structure. You know, I was lost. I, I you know, I, I spiralled out of control, you know, mental health issues or, or drinking or whatever it was. And a lot of times it comes back to that moment where they hadn't planned coming out of the system and the system just stopped and then they had, they had nothing to go to. So, the, you know, there's a lot of similarities between, you know, the sport and the structuring of the environment and then the transition out of that mm. into, the, into the real world or whatever, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes across everything, doesn't it? Whether it's sport, whether it's corporate, whether it's family life or whatever. If you can create an environment that, you know, has all them kind of elements of, of a strong culture, of acceptance, of, you know, support and everything else, then anyone that's within that has the best opportunity to flourish. You know, if you can just create that. And, that's, and sometimes that's all you can do, isn't it? And then I you think that's you're right because you, you, it's controlling what you can control. I think sometimes we spend too much time worrying about, you know, what happens when they're not with us. Okay, well, that, we can't control that. What we can control is when they are with us. And hopefully the structure and, and the process we're putting in place means when they're not with us, they're at least thinking about not doing that. Jeez, if I do that, then that's going to impact on my ability to go to work on Monday morning. I know I've got the whole weekend off. I know my mate's asking me to come out to have a drink. And you know, I, know, I potentially know where that's going to land. If I've got, oh, I haven't got something on the Monday to go to, you know, or if I haven't, someone hasn't controlled another environment, what typically I suppose you see would happen is, yeah, they'll just make that decision to go out, get, do whatever they do. But if, but if we've controlled what we can control, then they're starting to think, yeah, but I know when I go on Monday at eight, I love being with the boys at work. Yeah. I love talking about the footy at lunchtime on the weekend. I love working with my hands. I feel a sense of purpose. Yeah. People value me now. People, I get paid as well for what I'm doing. So all of a sudden, this different. So that's all you can control. Yeah, you you really you can't hold their hand all the time. And yeah, that's that's what I, I talk about a lot. Control what you can control. You know, if we, if we do that really really well, we'll, we'll make a great impact. Mm. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so you you know you've you've moved away um from the media stuff, haven't you? Like you know you completely you, you don't see a you know. You just flick on the TV and see you on every channel there for a stage there, Paul. And uh, you know now you kind of you've 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 purposely stepped back a little bit from that, and you're doing a lot of your work, as you say, with performance with design and, and you know your culture coach and everything else that you do in that space. Um, how does that like? I'm, I'm just interested. In, like, how does that um, how does that be for you? Like, you know, stepping back a little bit because obviously you know people you know you would obviously have a, a lot of people would want to hear what you have to say around you know footy and everything else of that. And I'm sure you do have you know conversations and that, and you do a little bit here and there. But um, I'm interested in that decision to step back from that and then to push yourself more in that because people mightn't understand that. You know, people might only be hearing today like a little bit about what you do with um, performance by design and so forth. So what was the decision for, for that and, and what do you think has been the benefits for you doing it? Yeah, so I started playing footy in um, – well, I, started, I got on the senior list in 1981, I think it was, and I retired in 1998 and then I – took up coaching um, part-time in 2000 and then took up full-time in 2003. Retired from uh, Melbourne Footy Club 2016. So in that 
period of almost 40 years, I had one season off footy in, in 40 years. And it probably wasn't until I sort of worked out. So the the answer to the question is, so at the start of last year, we decided we're going to do a trip like in the middle of the footy season, which, so 98, I retired. We went and lived overseas in 99, but that's the only other season that I, sorry, the only year that I'd been able to get out of here in, you know, the, the Australian winter, which is the, you know, the Northern Hemisphere summer. Um, so we, we made the decision to, to, you know, cut back, go overseas for five weeks, um, really just to to do something completely different that I'd never been able to, able to do. And then COVID hit, which was so I've still got a trip booked to Croatia you know, on, a, on a on a cruise sort of thing. So um, so then 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 COVID hit, and then yeah, the, the work I do with performance by design, um, yeah, which which I really enjoyed doing. And then I, I guess from a, a media point of view, it's something I I, I, I enjoy, but it, it it's really different. Once, you, once you've coached, it's really I find it quite difficult to because what happens in the media I've worked out the loudest voices tend to get the most, but often the loudest voices know the least about the game because and the less they know about the game, the louder they have to become. And most of what they say is absolute drivel, you know. So you you sort of got to make a little bit of a choice. Do I want to become a loud voice that's that's actually not making any sense, but it drives you know clickbait. It it it, it does this sort of thing, and so that's a, that's a real balance to navigate when you when you've coached and you realise how difficult it is for the players, how difficult it is for the coach, and you understand the game so intimately that very rarely do you get down to to any you know sent any real detail you know and, and we all love Betty Franklin and 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 Fife and Martin and Dangerfield but you just talk about them constantly you know if you go into a you go into a Friday night game and Geelong play Hawthorne pre-games Buddy Franklin and Paddy Dangerfield half-times Buddy Franklin and Paddy Dangerfield and post-games Buddy Franklin and so when you're sort of sitting there and you know you've got way more to give, and you know you want to give it, but you're not allowed to give it. It becomes it becomes quite constrictive. So they're probably the you know the, the, the difficulties of, of being involved in the, in the media. So at the moment, I'm enjoying the performance by design. Um, you know, we want to sort of travel a, a fair bit more once you know once things open up. Hopefully, um, yeah. As I said, I enjoy the media. It's not. It's not that difficult, um, but if it comes up again, who knows? If it doesn't, you know, I enjoy having the weekends off, which is which is yeah, yeah. which which is a real. Yeah, you know, even my son, one of my sons, said to me today, "Geez, we, we, you know, one was it last year? It'd be great to go to the footy together." So you forget the, the little things that you've you've yeah. sort of missed because you've been involved. Like people say to me all the time, "Yeah, I'm 57 now, so I started at Fitzroy when I was 17, so 40 years." Like even even last weekend, I. Um, what are you doing on Monday? I'm, I don't know. I'm going to work. Oh, it's a public holiday. Oh, what's it for? Because when you're in footy, there's no such thing as a holiday. Yeah, well, I don't mean we don't get holidays, but if you're playing on as yeah. Melbourne are, it, or Anzac Day, or you know Easter, you know when everyone else is going away, you're involved in footy. So you actually just get into this mindset of. Your weekends are always taken up, so even that's you know interesting when you can take some time off and you know not worry too much about the game and watch games now. 
you know, just because you're, you know, I'm involved in North Melbourne, which I'm loving. So you, you got an emotional attachment to them, which is, um, which is fun. Again, yeah, it's great when you, yeah, you, you are involved. But a lot of games now I can just watch and just sit back and, because when you, you know, if you, the other thing is when you're doing a, a show like on the couch, you got to watch every game on the weekend. You know, so it becomes, yeah, very time consuming as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a footy fan, huh? Just a football. Well, player. yeah, it's 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 good because people ask me all the time who I barrack for. It's funny, and you don't really think about that question too often because, as I said, as a seventeen-year-old, yeah, prior to going to Fitzroy, I barracked for Carlton, but that was the last time I really barracked for a team. Mm. So that's forty years ago. Because ever since then, you were with I was with Fitzroy, I was with Sydney as a player, I was with Sydney as a coach, I was with the Sydney Swans Academy. When I then I was with the Melbourne footy club so you when i say you don't barrack clearly if you're coaching a team you're barracking but you're more involved than than barracking for a team um so it's a funny question when people say who do you who do you barrack for mm. you, you sort of don't really barrack for a team you have more emotional connections and deep deep connections with with teammates and past you know coaches and players and you know and as soon as you work into a footy club like i did now at north even though i'm there very much part-time you know Footy clubs are really emotional environments, so you get dragged in straight away by the players. You know, you fall in love with the players really quickly, and, and all the people at the footy club. Mm. It's so hard we, not to once you once you hear someone's story. It's pretty hard to uh, yeah think think of them any other way than that emotional connection that you've got. Well, and probably it's frustrating. Yeah, you know, when you when you you see the fans response and the fans you know they never phase me too much in terms of that but what you got to understand what i always say to the supporters i don't care if you're the most passionate supporter in australia the coach and players have a way more level of commitment to that footy team than you do so when you start booing that player or writing a letter to the club about how bad the club is that coach and that group of players are way more committed to that footy club than you are and I, and I would say that unequivocally because once you walk inside a footy club you are so emotionally attached to that footy club so it's somewhat disrespectful when you receive letters you know or text messages and it's like do you really think we tried to lose on the weekend do you really think that that we we were happy to get beaten by 100 points it's just and you really think the players don't care the number of times you know you'll see oh, I'm going to send my membership back the players don't care I guarantee they care. They care more than anyone because they're the ones that are going to the milk bar on the Monday and someone saying you were terrible on the weekend and going and pick up the paper and you were terrible on the weekend and yeah, you know, even mum and dad, geez, you had a shocker on the weekend or whatever it was. They care more than anyone. Yeah, you know, are they playing poorly? Do they need to get better? Is there some problems with the footy club? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect, but in terms of connection to the footy club, yeah. Nathan Buckley, you can see how much that meant to Nathan, you know, coaching one more game. And you can see how much it meant to the players. Now, then you can mount an argument why the players wait for the coach to get sacked. Yeah. And that's probably something we'd all like to be able to answer, <laughs> answer that question. Yeah. But you can see how invested coaches are in the, in the footy team. Yeah, yeah. Mac, just to let you know, Mac's a Collingwood supporter, so he's just an- he, he's just angling to ask you a question. Are you going to come and coach Collingwood? So just 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 get that off the record. And we have another exclusive as well, the Paul uh, Barracks for uh, Carlton. So yeah. we'll just sell that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well the, my last game I went to as a neutral spectator happened to be the Carlton Collingwood Grand Final in '79. Right. So that ball was clearly still in bounds when Harmsy knocked it back in. So. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. <laughs> uh, 
Well, look, you know, we've taken um, a, lot, a lot of your time, and, and thanks so much for giving us uh, your time as well. Because as I say, people probably, you know, would, you know, have seen you as a footy player, as a coach, and then all your Wookiee doing media as well. And there's a different side that, you know, that we're very lucky enough to, to know about you. And, and, and you're so generous with your time in, in supporting what we do, and you've been a voice for it, and you're an advocate for it as well, which, you know, is really important to us as well. Because, you know, when people get sick, listen to me and, uh, and, and Mark and so forth. So it's nice to have someone who, you know, like yourself, who doesn't just um, say it, but also believes it you know, and feels and can see it and can see the actual uh, change that we've having these young people and the impact that we're having with, with our social enterprise rebuild and, and bridge project as well. So really, um, thank you for all the work that you do and look forward to continuing that um, in the future and so forth and doing more events together and, and so forth as well. Um, I want to finish by asking a question I ask everyone and uh, casting your mind way back to when you were a, a young lad, like what did you want to be when you grew up? It's funny, um, I've reflected on that a lot, not so much what I wanted to be, but I guess through what's happening with COVID and how the world's changed so dramatically. And, and my son Dylan asked me a question about six months ago, or maybe longer. He said, oh, Dad, if you could grow up in any era, what would it be? And I sort of sat there and actually didn't take me that long. And I said, actually, the era that I was in, you know, it was such a great era and I think one of the reasons why is because you actually didn't have to make a decision. You actually, you were so consumed in life. You were so consumed in riding your bike after school. And like my, my week consisted of basketball, football, tennis, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No homework. So when you ask that question, I don't think it really dawned on us at all back then what you wanted to be. Because we talk about being present now, like, we were present, like every, like we were all so present in the moment. If I was a basketball trainer, I was a basketball trainer. I wasn't thinking about footy. If I was at footy training, I was at footy training. I wasn't thinking about basketball. If I was playing tennis on a Saturday morning, I was playing tennis on a Saturday morning. And I think that lends us to opportunity. You know, the opportunity that we had to be anything we wanted to be was, was really quite cool. Yeah, so in that regard, I don't think – probably the one thing I thought because I love sport was maybe a PE teacher. Yeah, that was probably the one thing that – and I actually did start the course. Um, I went to Fitzroy and I also went to Footscray Institute of Technology. I only lasted about three months there. Um, but when, when that's probably because I love sport. I just loved activity and I thought that's pretty cool. Yeah, going to school, going to work every day, wearing a trackie, yeah, teaching kids how to play. Yeah, we played cross ball and volleyball and netball and lacrosse and hockey and all these, you know, a high school PE teacher would have been the greatest job in the world back then, you know. Yeah, and they were good, good people. So probably that was the one thing that I thought, yeah, as, as a – 13 14 15 year old yeah that that that, that looks that looks pretty cool I, I could i could do that for the rest of my life but the opportunity was amazing and the lifestyle was amazing and growing up you know back in that time was just yeah incredible mm. well you certainly carved out a, a a healthy career outside of that uh, pe teacher so um you i know, will tell you a quick still, story there is that. time for it go I'll on tell you a quick story so I worked at the AMP, and this is nothing against like corporate world. I remember I worked at the AMP, it was my first job, and I was about uh, 19, because my, my colleagues, I would still catch up with a guy from AMP, and he reminds me of this conversation all the time. That's the reason I bring it up. So I had my half yearly review as a 20 year old kid with my boss, and my boss, 
and I wasn't a great worker, to be fair. Um, and I had flexi time back then, so you'd punch the clock, punch the clock out. And at the end of the meeting, he goes, Paul, you've got to decide between insurance and football. <laughs> <laughs> and my mate, Roger, reminds me all the time of this, tough, the, conversa- question. <laughs> the conversation that I had. So just as you, you prompted me to sort of reflect on that, that story... Uh, well, you made a good choice, I think. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I think you made the right choice there. But uh, thanks again, uh, Paul, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, best of luck with everything that you're doing with, uh, with um, you know, performance by design and culture coach. And, and, uh, and thanks again for your support of Bridge Project and Rebuild. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again very soon. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Paul as much as we did. Next week, join Mick and I as we round up the season in extra time. But until then, be kind, be well. If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help. At ymcarebuild.org.au under the podcast tab. A way of helping us is to subscribe, share with friends and leave a review. If you want to take that next step, hit up our online store where you can purchase handcrafted wooden products. If you're sitting there going, I want to do everything I can, get a quote for facility maintenance needs at your business. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.au. This podcast was produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing done by Mark Wilson.